0: Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. You are listening to Mortification of Spin, and it's so great to have you on with us today. So grateful that you're taking time to listen in once again this week. Uh, My name is Todd Pruitt. I'm the pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia, and I'm joined as always by my friend Carl Truman, who uh, teaches at Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania uh, when he's not writing books and traveling the world. And so, Carl, great to see you again. Good I'm, I'm a little tough. I, well. I'm and I don't really know what to do at this point. I don't know what your schedule has been like, Carl. But it's unusual as I'm looking at you on this screen. Um, you're not wearing a tie. There's no <laughs> jacket. Um, have you just been out working
1: in the lawn? What's the What's the deal today? it's the summer the students have graduated i no um, longer have to pretend that i respect them so i'm able to uh, go in my civilian dress
0: so. excellent, excellent i'm
1: glad to see that you're wearing a shirt with sleeves
0: that's, yes uh,
1: that's a definite so, improvement mm, on the usual so it, uh, sartorial presentation
0: yeah it's a banner day for mortification of spin i decided <laughs> to wear a, a shirt that has both buttons and sleeves and a collar, by by the way. So, um, uh, yeah, so it's quite a a formal affair today. Um, We're excited about uh, our our guest um, today. Uh, No doubt many of our listeners will know um, who our guest is today. Um, She is uh, the author of many books. For years, she collaborated with the late, great Charles Coulson and uh, is an accomplished writer, a, a public intellectual, a Christian apologist, Um, And we are uh, here to uh, talk with her about her new book. Of course, our guest is Nancy Piercy. And uh, Nancy has, I mean, you are familiar with so many of her books, Um, uh, uh, Total Truth, um, the the really excellent uh, book, Love Thy Body, which came out just a couple of years ago, such an important important subject in in terms of understanding um, uh, humanity and and the telos of of the human body and um, uh, her latest uh, book, which... um, has the appropriately provocative title, The Toxic War on Masculinity. And so our guest today is the author of that book and so many other wonderful books, Nancy Piercy. Um, so good to have you with us, Nancy.
2: Thank you for inviting me here. It's it's a
0: joy. Absolutely. And also... Um, Being a Houstonian myself, Nancy uh, is uh, an instructor at the wonderful Houston Christian University, formerly Houston Baptist University. Um, If you are looking for a really wonderful Christian university, there are several that you can choose from. Of course, Grove City College in Western Pennsylvania. But another one of those that needs to be on your list is uh, Houston Christian University. Uh, Wonderful faculty there. And um, you may even be able to have an opportunity uh, to be taught by uh, Nancy Piercy while you're there. Well, Nancy, um, let's talk about your new book, um, The Toxic War on Masculinity. And of course, as soon as I say the title of that book, people will understand um, the timeliness of it. We hear so much about, quote unquote, toxic masculinity. And certainly uh, you would not deny that that men are sinners just like women are and that there are expressions of quote unquote masculinity that are sinful and fallen and yet you want to speak into this issue because um in reading your book and in knowing so much of of many of the other things you've written you want to sound a warning on uh, the fact that this pendulum of of responding rightly to certain abuses has gone so far as to actually um Uh, question and and even more than just question but outright condemn the very notion of masculinity um, itself as something that is god-given and constructive and and good for humanity so kind of i wonder if you just address first of all how long this has been kind of cooking in your mind and and uh you know when did you decide this needs a book i need to address this more fully how did that come about
2: well, I was shocked at the level of hostility that it's become socially acceptable to express against men. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the Washington Post had an article called Why Can't We Hate Men? Yeah, I thought, you know, you, you expect that in some fringe feminist publication, maybe, right. but not in a mainstream newspaper like the Washington Post. The Huffington Post uh, editor said her New Year's resolution was kill all men. Yeah, You can buy T-shirts that say, so many men, so little ammunition. Yeah, And there are books out now with titles like, I hate men, mm. and no good men, and are men necessary? <laughs> so it's not surprising that surveys are starting to show. There was one that I quoted in, in my book that 40, 46% of men now say that these days society seems to punish men just for acting like men. And so I saw the problem and I saw a solution. So the problem was that men are being, like you said, masculinity itself seems to be what's what's being denigrated. And and evangelical men in particular, you know, Christian men, seem to be exhibit A of, of toxic masculinity. And that wasn't hard to find quotes for either. Um, let me give you a, just a few of those because... Here's a a few that I found with a quick Google search. Conservative Protestant gender ideology can clearly lead to abuse, both physical and emotional. It's no secret that abuse is prevalent in conservative churches that embrace headship theory. That's from a Christian publication. The theology of male headship feeds the rape culture that permeates American Christianity today. So the problem with these accusations is they ignore the data from the social sciences. Um, so if you want me to keep going, that's, that's the problem. <laughs> um, if you want, want me to keep going, that's uh, the solution that I saw was that um, sociologists, psychologists have been doing studies. Essentially, they looked at these charges, these accusations and said, where's the evidence? <laughs> where's the evidence? and so they went they did the studies and uh, these are f- fairly new just in the last few decades um and, and so most people don't know about them in fact i had to go digging in academic theological excuse me in academic sociological <laughs> journals in order to find them but what they've discovered is that evangelical men actually test out as the most loving husbands and fathers so compared to the average family man, evangelical men are the most loving with their wives. And by the way, they do interview the wives separately. (laughs) So what they're really reporting is that the wives say they are the happiest with their husband's expressions of love and appreciation. Evangelical men are the most engaged with their children, both in terms of shared activities like sports or church youth group and in terms of discipline like mm. setting limits on screen time and enforcing yeah. bedtime evangelical couples are actually the least likely to divorce and the real shocker was they are they have the lowest rates of domestic violence contrary to all the yeah. things that we hear in the secular media and sometimes even the christian media so this was amazing and christians don't know this when i speak right. on this to christian audiences you know universities seminaries and so on invariably you know people's jaws drop like well we didn't we had no idea yeah and, and my my go-to sociologist so to speak the one who did the largest study is Brad Wilcox, Brad Wilcox at the University of Virginia and and let me give you a quote from him because it's a wonderful summary.
0: Yeah. No no bastion of conservatism by the way University Pardon? of Virginia.
2: Oh yeah yeah University of Virginia. Yeah. Well let me yeah. let me tell you what <laughs> first of all let me tell you his quote from the New York Times. It's New York Times, no yeah. bashing of conservatives there either, right? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> so he gets quoted in the New York Times saying, um, "It turns out that the happiest of all wives in America, you know, they're they focus on the wives because the idea yeah. is that uh, any sort of male authority or headship in the home is going to lead them to become overbearing, chauvinistic patriarchs." Right. <laughs> so he f- focuses on the wives. It turns out that the happiest of all wives in America are religious conservatives. Fully 73% of wives who hold conservative gender values and attend religious services regularly with their husbands have high quality marriages. So even Christians don't know this. And I love the way you mentioned his, his secular colleagues because he then turns to his secular colleagues, academicians, sociologist, and he he adds this. He says, um, academics need to cast aside their prejudices. (laughs) Um, Their prejudices about religious conservatives and evangelicals in particular. Conservative, Protestant, married men with children are consistently the most active and expressive fathers and the most emotionally engaged husbands. So, and by the way, he's Catholic. So, in a sense, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. he He wasn't out to show that Protestant evangelicals actually test out the best. and And what I say then is that we we really have empirical evidence, I and mean, this these are rigorous academic studies showing that Christians actually test out the best in terms of their family life and in terms of, you know, fathers being loving to their wives and children. So I would like very much to get this news out this needs to be out there Christians need to realize that they're actually doing a good job we need to encourage Christian men that the academic literature actually shows they're doing a very good job
1: That's interesting Nancy and it it raises a couple of other questions so I mean, if if the evidence is overwhelmingly in the direction uh, that that you say it is you know where does where does the idea of toxic masculinity Come from and why has it come to focus upon the Protestant evangelical constituency as the villains? If there is so little evidence for that being the case, why has this come to grip the popular imagination?
2: Yes, uh, the first question I always get is haven't we all heard that Christians divorce at the same level as the rest of society? So researchers went back to the data and they separated out the truly authentic, committed, church-going Christian men from the nominal Christian men. In other words, these are men who, on a survey like this, might check the Baptist box. But in fact, they attend church rarely, if at all. And they test out shockingly different. They fit all the categories of toxicity They are, their their wives test out as the least happy with their husband's love and appreciation. They spend the least time with their children. They, their rate of divorce is the highest, the higher than secular men. And then the real shocker, they test out as having the highest rates of domestic violence of any major group in America, higher than secular men. And so what happens is wow. if, you know, if you have a, if you have a project, a research project where you put, you know, these two groups together, if you just say, oh, well, like, let's look at evangelicals, you're going to get skewed statistics because mm-hmm. you're going to get people who are better than secular men and you're going to get people who are worse yeah. than secular men.
1: Yeah. And
2: so that's why we have, we have this misunderstanding. And it was incre- incredibly important that uh, researchers went back and made this distinction because, um, The you and I probably hang out mostly with fairly committed Christian men, and so I always thought that oh, nominals are probably a small group. No, in America, they're a pretty large group, you know. We have a lot of cultural Christians in America still, and so. You know, you have about a 50-50 chance that uh, if you meet somebody that they're actually nominal, You who right. claims the evangelical identity right. is actually nominal. And so this is the real challenge, I, I would say, for the church, is we need to figure out how to encourage the men who are doing well and how to reach out to the men who are sort of at the fringes. Mm-hmm. Um, and who p- people ask me sometimes, well, why are they actually worse than secular men? Apparently what happens is, um, you know, they, they hang around the fringes of the Christian world to pick up the language of headship and submission. right? But they infuse it with secular definitions of entitlement and mm-hmm. dominance and control. But they feel they've gotten the religious permission to do that.
0: Right. You know,
2: so they actually, with that religious permission, so to speak, they actually end up being worse than secular men.
0: Yeah, it's like so they've, that's they've where gotten… The-
2: that's where the misunderstanding comes yeah. from.
0: It's like they've gotten just enough religion to inoculate <laughs> them from the gospel, but they pick up on some of these categories that are in the Bible but they do so as either very immature or or just flat out unregenerate men who who seize upon some of those biblical categories in a typically unhealthy way. Yeah. Now, you you one of the statistics that that you bring out is is this dichotomy between um, church, mem- church, church attendance um, by women and that of men. You know, and and that's been a, there's been a growing divide there, um, as 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 a lower percentage of men have been, you know, attending church. You know, nationwide there are some churches that are exceptions, of course, but in terms of the broad statistics, more women a- attend church regularly than than women. And a lot of people have written on this. Leon Pottles wrote wrote a, wrote a book um, a number of years ago called The Church Impotent, where he was trying to um, warn about this problem and that sort of thing. Um, I wonder if you have any ideas about why that has been a, a, a trend in in evangelicalism.
2: Yeah, so Leon Pottles puts it back to the Middle Ages, but Rodney Stark says it was there that way from the beginning, and the early church had more women than men, and he chalks it up to the fact that Roman culture was so negative in its treatment of women, <laughs> that women in the and the Christian church had much higher, higher status, were valued much more, much, more great, much more than in the surrounding culture. You, you probably know this. I mean, Carl knows this because he's a, he's a historian. Um, but the Roman culture, men had perfect freedom to have sex with just about anybody. It was very accepted that a married man would have sex with, with mistresses and prostitutes and most of all slaves, their, their own slaves, male and female uh, children and adult. And so uh, I write about this m- more de- uh, in more detail in my book, Love Thy Body. But you have to keep it in mind for this book as well, that from the beginning, the Christian church has stood against cultures like the Roman culture, where women had very little status and wives were for having official heirs but that's about it <laughs> they were not expected to have close emotional relationships right. they were not supposed to c- complain when their husbands had sex with a vi- variety of other people you even see it in the literature of the time when women would often complain about their husband's infidelity and they were basically told oh, get, get used to it <laughs> and so when women entered the christian church they had much more status much higher status um, than in the surrounding culture. So actually, we find uh, literature saying at the t- even at the time uh, that we have ch- church leaders saying, we have a lot more women than men. <laughs> you know, We're having trouble right. getting enough husbands for our young women. So yeah. you do see it even from the beginning. And so in one sense, that's a good thing. It does show that Christianity has always had a higher view of women than the surrounding culture. Now, I do agree with you that it also means we need to maybe think more carefully about how to bring men in into the church as well. And so yeah, that's 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 another part of the book. Um, but we should start by recognizing that it's not bad to be attractive to women and it's been that way from the beginning.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Now in your book, Nancy, you you talk about the the, the sort of the world today presents these sort of two scripts for masculinity for uh for for, for, for men. Could you outline what they are for for the audience?
2: Yeah, this was really interesting. Um, I you guys, uh, you guys might not realize this, but I was very surprised um, that this is the most controversial book I've written. I really thought Love They Body would be more controversial <laughs> because it deals with abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, and so on. But in the at least in the Christian world so far, this has been more controversial. Uh, my my even though I teach at a Christian college, most of my young female students identify as feminist, And whenever I said anything positive about men, they would get triggered as though I were thereby denigrating women. But my male students were equally defensive. When I said I was writing a book on masculinity, one of my male students shot back, what masculinity? It's been beaten out of us. <laughs> so, so, So I found... That this uh, this is a sociological study that found that there are really sort of two competing scripts for men out there in the general culture. And so I put this at the beginning of of the book. Uh, The other thing I found is when my students or uh, I have several reading groups on the subject sort of rub off the rough edges. And when my students and my reading groups, they would talk about the book to their friends and family members. And invariably, the first question was, whose side is she on? With that tone, whose side is she on? You know, is she some male bashing feminist or she's some angry reactionary? So I had to rewrite chapter one multiple times to try to overcome that initial barrier. And this, the script, the two competing scripts helped a lot, what you just mentioned, Carl. Um, This was a sociologist named Michael Kimmel, and he's very well known in his field. And so he speaks all, all over the world. And so he turned that into sort of a study, an experiment. Where he would ask young men two questions. First, what does it mean to be a good man? You know, if, if you're at a funeral and the in the eulogy they say he was a good man, what does that mean? And all around the world, men had no problem answering that question. You know, from Australia to Germany to Ecuador, um, they all said the same thing. And, and I'll actually read it so you get their words: um, honor, duty, integrity, sacrifice. Do the right thing. Stand up for the little guy. I kind of like that one. Be a protector, be a provider, be responsible. And the sociologists would ask them, well, where'd you get that? And they'd say, well, it's just in the air we breathe. And in the West, they would say it's part of our Judeo-Christian heritage. And then he would ask a follow-up question. He'd say, well, what does it mean if I say to you, man up, be a real man? And the young man would say, oh, no, no, that's completely different. And again, I'll read you their words. That means be tough, strong, never show weakness, win at all costs, suck it up, be competitive, get rich, get laid. So in other words, there seem to be two competing scripts universally. Universally, men are made in God's image, and they do know what the good man is. Uh Romans 2, you know, we all have got a conscience, we all know right and wrong inherently. And uh and yet and yet they are feeling a cultural pressure to be quote unquote the real man, which are the traits that we normally think of as more toxic, you know, dominance and control, get rich, get laid. <laughs> um and so I would suggest that the main debate is really not between men and women, it's within men's own head. Mm between these two com- competing scripts and that that suggests a strategy also because it means instead of attacking men as toxic you know nobody responds well to being called toxic
0: right
2: so a better strategy is to tune in to their intrinsic understanding of the good man hmm. how can we support that how can we encourage that how can we affirm that and so i th- that is a better strategy for helping men in our culture today yeah,
0: that's really good. And and I, I, not not long ago, I said something from the pulpit. It happened to be in the midst of, a, of of a sermon application, and I forget now what the text was. But as a part of the application, just kind of off the top of my head, I thought, you know what, I I need to encourage the men in my con- the young men in my congregation on this. And one of the things I just addressed for about four minutes was, um, young men and boys, I need you to hear this. Um, your maleness is not an affliction that needs to be cured. But it's a gift. God made you as a man. There are really, really good things about that. And it was interesting afterwards, uh, the number of, of moms who came up to me after the sermon, some of them with tears in their eyes saying, thank you for affirming our sons, because they never hear this outside of our home. You know, they don't hear this at school. They don't hear this from the media or from the culture. And I got the most comments after that sermon about that small point of application from moms um, in my church.
2: Yeah, I quote a psychiatrist named Erica Commissar. She writes for the Wall Street Journal. And she says, as a psychotherapist, I'm getting more and more young men who are discouraged and beaten down because our culture is so hostile to masculinity. And it is at least probably one reason why boys men and boys are doing worse today than in the past. As as you know, boys are falling behind at all stages of education from kindergarten. You know, all the way through college, Uh, colleges tend to be roughly 60% women now. Graduate school, more women are going to graduate school and even professional school like law and medicine. Men are falling behind in terms of uh, rates of suicide, in terms of drug and alcohol addiction. And of course, they've always been more prone to crime. I mean, I used to work for prison fellowship, uh, an international ministry. And of course, we we knew (laughs) 90% 90% of people behind bars are males. Uh, in Recently, though, their, um, their level of employment has gone down. They don't show up in the statistics anymore, so you have to go digging. But there are researchers who now say male unemployment levels are at depression-era levels. Depression-era levels. And male life expectancy has gone down in recent years. Women's has stayed the same, so it's not a general trend. Just men's life expectancy has gone down. And so this is what makes this so crucial that we we stop and say, okay, it's been great that girls are doing better in school. You know, they've had a lot of uh encouragement and there's been a lot of money poured into girl positive curriculum and so on. But it's time to start thinking about boys. You know, how do we learn how to encourage boys like you did in your sermon?
1: Well... <laughs> this conversation could run and run because this is a topic that that we have barely scratched the surface of in the few minutes we spent together but we do want to thank you nancy not only for giving you your time for, uh, with us today but also for uh putting your time into and sticking your neck out i would suggest uh, Uh, in your latest book the toxic war on masculinity how christianity reconciles the sexes many of us are greatly indebted to you uh, for your work over the years and i think this book uh, will be an extremely important contribution to a very very pressing issue not just sociologically but as todd has just pointed out also pastorally. And to you, the listeners, uh, please visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you will find uh, there an opportunity to enter for a chance to win a copy of Nancy Pierce's book, The Toxic War on Masculinity. If you don't win the book, please buy a copy. It will repay careful reading. Give it away to your friends. Discuss it with your friends. This is an extremely important issue, and Nancy has made an extremely important contribution uh, to the discussion. While you're at a website, also please consider making a donation to Mortification of Spin. We are a listener-supported podcast. Uh, all that now remains for me to do is to thank our guest, uh, Professor Nancy Piercy, once again, for giving us her valuable time and to thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. We look forward to being with you next time.